We've recently elected new leadership in the state capitol. But what are we doing to encourage and inspire the next generation? Our youth, the college students, who will lead the way in speaking up for life in the womb in this country. Today, we let you listen in to Victoria Cobb's personal encouragement to those students. Plus, Governor Yunkin calls for a boycott of Eventbrite. Learn more about that and what you can do. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia. We hope last week's election analysis was helpful as you headed out to the polls, and we hope that every one of you went to the polls. I will say, though, we are looking forward to Victoria's insights and analysis on the election outcomes. However, we are taping, recording this just before November 7th. So if you'll bear with us in a few days, we will have the analysis from Victoria on the long-term impact of this election. But for now, we have a couple of other special updates for you. Um, First of all, I just wanted to update everyone on what's going on with this whole Eventbrite controversy. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun to watch, that's for sure. And um, I'm glad to see a spotlight on Eventbrite. Yeah. We've had an issue for a long time, so. Yeah, last time you might remember, or you know, just a few episodes ago, we talked about how our South Carolina sister organization, the Family Policy Council in South Carolina, how they had their event deplatformed because they dared to talk about the dangers of pushing children down this gender realignment, a gender surgery path, pediatric gender surgery, and Chloe Cole was one of their featured guests, and so that was depublished. Well, apparently this is not an isolated trend for Eventbrite. Yeah, there's no question. This is obviously something they regularly do, or this wouldn't start becoming coming to light quite so so obviously. But basically, there's a newest one um, that has been sort of triggered this coming back out into the spotlight, and that is that a few days ago, Riley Gaines, hopefully everybody remembers her, she's one of our great, brave women standing up to save girls' sports. So she comes out, and she basically went with a, uh, a speaking tour, a public speaking tour at colleges called protecting women's sports with Riley Gaines, and she was deplatformed by Eventbrite. So they gave basically uh, the same sorts of reasons we've heard before, saying they don't allow events that discriminate against or incite violence, Um, so with certain targeted individuals or groups or whatever. But here's the thing. This is so ironic because they are allowing events that are, I would call them pro-Hamas or celebrations related to what we would say are is terror going on in the Middle East. And so clearly the standard is not solid. Yeah. Well, there is good news out of all this, and that is that our governor, Governor Yunkin, has taken a very strong stance when it comes to this double-mindedness on the part of Eventbrite. He said that when he learned that they were censoring women like Riley Gaines on this girls' sports issue, and then at the same time allowing these events around Hamas, that that was it for him. So he came out with this comment. I'm going to quote from it, quote, as governor, I've told our political committee that we will no longer use Eventbrite and the governor's office is no longer using Eventbrite. And I would ask your listeners, do not respond or RSVP to an invitation from Eventbrite. Just stop using them. 
I think that's fantastic. You know, I was glad to see when our attorney general was on top of this and yeah. now our governor's on top of this. And, you know, I mean, they yeah, they basically had to say, we've got your, you know, because he's doing events. That's the funny thing about this timing. You know, there are there were there have been rallies leading up to this election. There were kind of nonstop events. And so Eventbrite is actually losing a lot of registration going on because there's there was like a rally every couple of hours across Virginia the last several weeks up until this election. And so it's a big deal. And I'm really pleased to see him stepping into this because unless they are stood up to by powerful people, they're going to continue to do this. Well, do you think people will respond to his call to action that they will see a significant drop of people not using? I sure hope so. I hope it's an awareness factor for people who use it for other events. But certainly there are a lot of events that were flowing through our pack and our state through Eventbrite that will Mm -hmm. stop. So that's at least a starting point. Yeah. And like we said, this is happening over and over. It's it's affecting our sister organizations, um, people like Riley Gaines, uh, Chloe Cole, it's a definite pattern. So I I hope people will respond and they'll get a definite message. Um, But with that said, I do want to get into a special treat we have for you today. And that is we are going to air a speech that Victoria gave recently for a Students for Life Club at Christopher Newport University. Now, Victoria, I know you have a, a real heart, a passion for speaking to the next generation on this topic. Why is that so important to you? Well, I got inspired around the life issue at such a young age that I feel like that is a is a is a moment where you're learning about the issues when you're younger and you're kind of deciding what is your life all about? Where are you going to put your passion? And I want these kids to understand, be able to defend their position and hopefully it will create some real pro-life warriors, you know, people that that see the unborn and go, this is unjust and I've I've, I've got to stand up for it. I've got to be part of the movement. So that's that's my hope around it. Yeah, and that was really the issue that kind of led you down this whole 100%, path. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I was passionate about it, and it was really from, my in my case, really young in sixth grade. But these folks in college are just, there's a lot of cultural issues coming at them every day. Let's make sure they understand the perspective of human life, that they're able to defend it, that they're going to be hearing about it on their campus and you know other student groups and stuff. Let's make sure that they have all the education they need to be effective. Yeah. Well, I wish we had time to play the whole entire excellent speech that Victoria gave, but we only have time for a portion of it. But just to bring you up to speed for where it's going to start, it starts off in the middle of you talking about how you felt this calling to speak into this topic at a very young age, as you were explaining, and how this eventually was really solidified when you had your first child. So you share very openly about that. It's, it's very moving. Um, but then Victoria goes into this excellent overview. Really, it's kind of a nice little history lesson on how we've experienced both sides of the pendulum swing here in Virginia with both seeing success with abortion declining significantly when we were able to get in restrictions and safety regulations. But then after that, when when a lot of that was wiped out under Gov- Governor Northam, starting with him, um, the uptick in abortions. And so we're at a real key point right now. And that's really what you were trying to communicate to the kids. Um, So without further ado, let's just get right into Victoria speaking to the next generation. And then, of course, when I had my first child, right, like I was in the pro-life movement, but it was still an unbelievable thing to see a heartbeat that is inside of you at six weeks when what you're seeing on the screen is literally like the size of a lima bean. It was overwhelming. So I became pro-life by sort of motherhood. Um, And I'll tell you this, too, and people don't talk about this, but when I lost my first child in an ectopic pregnancy, I was pro-life in grief because you know you've lost something um, when you go through that and you know that it was not just something to be thrown away, something that can be tossed aside, something that's a matter of convenience. You, you, you feel that. And so it's, it's amazing how there's many reasons people come into this cause, many things that motivate them. 
but um, all of it is around this amazing humanity um, that is inside the womb long before we ever get to see it and interact with it on the outside. Um, and, you know, I've been thinking about that moment, you know, sort of like we're going to get to you know, overturn Roe for forever. But what I didn't necessarily think about a lot was what happens after that court decision, right? Like, what what does the next era look like? Um, and I'll tell you, it's, I mean, it's a rocky road. It's a rocky road, right? I would say this, up until that court decision, most things were trending pro-life. Really and truly, like if you looked at the polls over time, they were generally trending more and more pro-life. Um, and I'll tell you, that's because so many people have done so much legwork in this movement to change hearts and minds, to be outside pregnancy centers, the 4D ultrasound, all those things were contributing to kind of this, this trend of going in the right direction. Um, and and I, I know that you guys, in some way you're here and trying to contribute something to this cause, so you're gonna end up being one of those, I think it's been a million plus people that have been part of the progressive movement that we've had from you know 1973 when you know it's a blob in the womb or whatever they wanted to claim that it was until now where I don't think that's disputed anymore. I, I mean, they can claim it, but there's not a real dispute about what's going on because science has shown us and revealed it in so many ways. Um, and so you know I, I thought about this, and in moments after the, the Dobbs decision, I told su supporters and reporters both. You know, and as a person of faith, I said, like, this is an amazing moment of celebration. We are so grateful to God. But I told them, I said, but you have to think of this moment as an open door, not a battle one, right? Like, that was the possibility, right? All of a sudden, states can do what it is they want to do to protect human life, right? That's the, we can go further than we've ever gone before, but that's not a completed race. That is not the, the final moment. And we see that two years later, or whatever we're at, a year later, whatever it is. We see that, right? We see every state is taking different directions on this question. And so we know that it's harder than just a court case, right? This is a much bigger deal than just a court case. And you know, it was sad because in that moment, I knew Virginia wasn't in a place where even though we had the open door, that we were gonna take it because we had a liberal House, Senate, you know, at the time. I mean, it was like, you know, we had barely gotten a new governor, you know, so like we knew, actually at that point, yeah, we had gotten a new governor, but we knew we didn't have what it took to be pro-life. And so it was kind of like this bittersweet, like we can and we get to watch other states do it, but we're not in a position to be able to do that. And um, and it's, you know, in where we are as a commonwealth is we allow abortion pretty much, you know, into the third trimester, depending on your reasoning, right? So like it's through the second trimester and then a couple of doctors have to agree around what the reasoning is on the third trimester. But that's a very, very liberal um, like laws around abortion. That is, our laws, and it's really important when you talk to people to help them understand this, our laws are more similar to North Korea and China on abortion than they are all of Europe. Most of Europe is, is like 12 weeks, and then they're like, okay, enough is enough. Places like Germany actually require that you get counseling if you get an abortion. They understand it's a, it's a serious matter. So when people make it seem like, you know, we're, you know, we're so behind the times, and you know, in many other issues, everybody points to Europe, oh, they're so progressive, they're so great. On abortion, if we are like everything else, we're pointing to Europe as leading the way in all sorts of stuff, they're leading the way in being more humane than Virginia. Um, so I just share that because sometimes I think our perspective gets warped by what the media tells us around abortion law, and it's not necessarily the case. But in Virginia, we still had, so in 2020, where the stats are really clear, you know, 18,780 lives lost to abortion in just 2020. And there's been an uptick, so we know there's been a 5,000 per year abortion increase since 2020, so we're assuming when we get the final numbers of this year, we're 
you know, into the 20,000s. And we were trending down. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the law has done and why those numbers are what they are. Um, but I explained to reporters, even right after Roe, our goal was never overturning Roe. Overturning Roe was a necessary step towards our true goal. And that is that people in Virginia, that their hearts and minds would understand and embrace the humanity that is in the womb, that they would want and love children. Like the goal isn't just literally the law. The goal is that we bring people along to understand and respect human life, right? The, the law is a piece of that. It is not the entire piece. And I think it's really important that we're clear about that because otherwise people will think you can just do it in a policy and it magically fixes everything and it doesn't. And that's, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, we're gonna go back to back alley abortions. We're not, but nevertheless, that, that, and they are not what the numbers are not what they claimed they were anyway. But but the point is that we have to move people's thinking and beliefs about it in the in line with the actual laws. Um, you know, certainly the law can be a guide for what's moral and what's right. And in that vein, we do seek to ban abortion, right? The, the law does tell us what is right and wrong. But if we haven't changed hearts and minds, the moment that you pass some great pro-life law, like let's say Virginia can pass at least a heartbeat, you know, something like that. The moment that you do that, you'll get unelected immediately. The next election, you'll have backlash because you haven't moved people along with you. And so it's really important. Lincoln had this statement that he said, you know, our government rests in public opinion. Whoever can change public opinion can change the government practically just so much. It says whoever molds public sentiment goes deeper than he who enacts statutes or pronounces judicial decisions. Right? You've got to actually move the people. And then, of course, all those other pieces. And which one comes first you know, isn't the point, because a lot of times the law can come ahead of changing hearts and minds. But they better be somewhere in the same direction, or you're going to have a really hard time holding the law to where you want it to be. Now, what's exciting about the moment of time that we're in, beyond just the legal stuff, is that um, it is almost like when you, the younger you are right now, the more it's almost just you have to be in total denial to be pro-choice. My children, for example, I have four children. Each one of them can literally pull up a digital file of their own color ultrasound. So my kids can see themselves when they were in the womb. And that is true really about anybody. I mean, we, it's, it was, it's commercial versus necessarily like what you get at your doctor. Your doctor gives you the black and white or whatever. But you can literally go and, and get that product. And so. When you're looking at yourself in the womb, it's really hard to be like, yeah, that's, that's not a life, you know, but yeah, that should be expendable. Um, and that's just a pretty amazing thing. And they can hear their own heartbeats. They can literally go back in history, see it on a recording, and see their own heartbeats at really early ages. And honestly, they can see similarities. You can, I mean, yes, a child in a womb does not look exactly like the child when they come out, but you can literally see similarities in the womb. And it's an amazing thing. And so there's, there's, so much progress that's made in science that it almost doesn't let us have an excuse for saying that we should be pro-choice out in society. Like it's almost a non-issue. Um, now, people will talk about all things like privacy and all sorts of other arguments, right? So you'll hear like it's between a woman and her doctor. All of those things would be true if it weren't another human life, right? They all predicate, right? So we don't we don't allow someone to kill another human being for any other reason that's alive and born, right? The only difference is we sort of have this these arguments and we pretend it's not human in order to reach the conclusions around the objections that we hear from the other side. Um, so, you know, we acknowledge that those beautiful images weren't available to the U.S. Supreme Court when they decided, right, like 1973, what they were dealing with wasn't what we have now. And so they wrongly decided that abortion had to be tolerated in 50 states. And in that moment, they failed to err on the side of protecting human life. They overruled states that had wisely recognized the central and prim primary role of the law 
which is to maintain human life, right? Like that's like the, the base level law, like we do not murder, okay, we're good. Like that's at least the starting point. And they, you know, they failed to sort of wisely err on that side. And they, you know, I jokingly say they defied the words of Dr. Seuss, a person to person is no matter how small, right? Like they just missed all of that. Um, and in Virginia, we've been working <coughs> to create a day where abortion is not just rejected, not just in the law, but also in the human heart, right? Like that's the goal, that they're both parallel and simultaneous. Um, but our efforts, as I said, they've been like kind of like riding a roller coaster. So let me give you some history so I can tell you kind of where we are. So, um, you know, many people are not Virginians, you know, that come into these talks. And I know that you guys haven't been around since 1973. Thankfully, I wasn't either. But I'll give you a little history where it's relevant. Um, so, so 1973, abortion becomes legal. Right after that, 1975, Virginia decided if you're going to have an abortion, we're going to require that at least a doctor do the abortion. So that was the earliest sort of basic protection around the abortion processes. We're going to have, you know, at least at least a doctor. So decades later, fast forward, and then you have Governor Allen, who was like 90s, basically, early 90s, mid, mid 90s. And he comes along and finally, after lots of work from the pro-life movement, you get a parental notification for abortion. So a basic, like, we're gonna at least notify a parent if a teen is gonna do something this serious, if they're gonna actually, you know, consider something that they will think about and, and deal with the rest of their lives. Um, and, you know, fast forward to the early 2000s, we finally be, began to give women true informed consent. What does that look like? Well, a basic, at the time, go back in technology, a basic pamphlet that sort of showed the gestational development of an unborn child. So women could go, okay, I'm this far along, this is what I'm dealing with when I make this decision. It also had things like 24-hour waiting period. And you hear the other side, like, talk about it as this great inconvenience. FYI, and you guys probably don't do a whole lot of, hopefully you don't have to do a whole lot of medical appointments, there's almost nothing you don't wait 24 hours for in the medical world. I can't think of a single surgery you can walk in, hey, I'm gonna get this right now. It doesn't happen, but you'd think, it, you'd, you'd think in the abortion space this is some kind of radical thing, and they've convinced people this is a radical thing, this is not a radical thing, this is the normal medical world, and somehow abortion used to sort of fall, and, and now has gone back to that, outside the normal kinds of laws we put around medical facilities. So we had, kind of 24-hour waiting period. And what is that about? That's about not having coerced abortion. And this is really important. A lot of people talk about abortion as a woman's choice. It is not always a woman's choice. A lot of times it is a woman's coerced choice. And that is usually by the boyfriend or the father or the baby, or sometimes occasionally by family members. That is devastating. So when you hear all this radical feminism around abortion being a choice, be aware. That is often not how it actually plays out and not what it is in reality. It is, it is a total lack of support at a minimum from her community that is driving the decision, or at maximum it is actually someone pushing her into it. And so the 24 hours is trying to create a gap so that there is some ability, so somebody can't find out, and almost like in a domestic abuse sort of scenario, rush the person into an abortion that they will regret or have concerns about the rest of their life. So that was something that we finally got us. And then we finally moved from parental notification to parental consent. One parent saying, you know, I actually think this is a good idea for my child. Because remember, we're talking about under 18. Decisions under 18. In lots of other areas of life, most areas of life, when you're under 18, we think you're not quite totally there in maturity. And, you know, there's a lot of science around the brain hasn't fully developed. I know you don't want to hear that because it's, you know, like not that long ago for some of you, but it is a real thing and it's real in science. And it should mean, for example, that when, you know, you go and do something stupid that violates the law, it should mean that the punishment is not the same as an adult, right? Like there, there's real, but we ought to be consistent about this, that the parents need to be a very important force in the life of an under 18 child. So we added consent. 
Right then, fast forward through the years of Governor uh, Warner, and then fast forward through the years of, and you guys probably only know him as a US Senator, but um, the I'm personally pro-life, but I do everything I can to further abortion Governor Tim Kaine. So now he's our US Senator, and that's literally his position. Like, he'll tell you how he's Catholic and how he, you know, he used to say he was totally pro-life. Now he doesn't even say he's pro-life because he's now US Senator and doing entirely the bidding of Planned Parenthood. So now you don't even see that side of him. But when he rose into the governorship, he really played up his Catholic faith. And he would talk about it and just be like, but I just don't think I can choose that for everyone else. And then he did all sorts of things that helped Planned Parenthood while he was in the so, so go through that era. We didn't really change the law during that era. But then we get to Governor McDonnell and we had a, a generally pro-life-ish House and Senate. So we kind of had all the pieces in place to be able to make some traction. And the big things that happen is um, one that you, you may have heard about, you may not at this point because it's been long enough, but we had a bill that said, it was called a window to the womb bill. And this just simply said, just like you do in every other medical arena, a woman has a right to see her own ultrasound. That like, that's a diagnosis test that is done while you have an abortion, we hope most of the time, not 100%, which is even scarier that an abortion wouldn't be absolutely required at all times so you know what you're dealing with, but nevertheless. So we basically said a woman has a right to get to see her own medical test, which is an ultrasound. This was a huge deal, and you'll still sometimes hear about this as it pops up in articles, like as if this is some violation of a woman's personal space by saying she should have an ultrasound before she has an abortion, right? The moment you have an abortion, you're gonna be violated, right? Like if that's their version of violation, um, that's all part of the process, right? That's a, it's a surgery, it's not a, you know, this is not a, you know, a, a, uh, something that is, is um, without medical consequence, right? So anyway, so, th so that was actually a, a big deal. It was mocked on late night shows. It was a huge political battle in Virginia. Um, but we believe it's simply letting women have that right. So that was a big one. And then the other big one was that basically we were able to get safety standards put in place around facilities, medical facilities that do abortion. The reason I say medical facilities is because they are doing a surgery. They are also now doing pills, but they are doing surgical abortion at these facilities. And they were essentially carved out of all the laws around how those facilities should be treated. So if you went into your knee surgeon, you knew certain things were gonna be in place. It was gonna be life resuscitation when you got knee surgery. If something went south, you knew. Frankly, even oral surgery, you knew that there was going to be, so I actually literally know a, a child that reacted badly to anesthesia, getting her wisdom teeth out, maybe saying you got your wisdom teeth out, literally got rushed by ambulance, but if they had not had, because she couldn't, she just didn't stop breathing, if they had not had the right equipment, just doing oral surgery, we would have had a problem. But abortion facilities did not have to have any of that stuff. This was a huge battle that lasted years and years, back and forth. Um, because eventually what we did on the McDonald administration was we passed a law that said they should be treated like other outpatient surgical facilities and put some regulations around them. And then it was kind of a whole back and forth and then Terry McAuliffe came in the next governor and tried to undo it and ultimately they were undone. But it, it, that sounds like something small. First of all, we wouldn't agree with the decision around abortion, right? Like we don't want anyone to make that decision. But we don't want to lose two lives when that person walks into that facility. And I will tell you, and Sherry can tell you, because if you've ever been in and around an abortion facility, most of them are not at all like how you would walk into your other outpatient surgeries. There's just not nearly the money put into them to make them sanitized and, and have all the right equipment. Um, we learned this because one of the things that happens when you put in safety standards is they do inspections. And you guys do not want to read what the inspection reports had, like literally blood on the tables, like things you would never want to know. And we would just argue that when you have a culture around death, 
your care for even the human life that shouldn't be at, at risk just isn't what it needs to be. Um, and that's just a, we, we either value human lives all the way around the pike or we don't. And so that's why safety stands were so super important. So all that to say, we got a whole bunch of laws put in place that were really important. And here's what's awesome about this is that all those laws, we actually literally got to see a 40% abortion reduction in five years after all those things got put in place. It was like the whole country started trending down, which was great. Virginia was trending fast down. And we really truly believe it's because some of the clinics closed as a result of not wanting to keep the standards. And then things like, hey, a woman has time to think about it. And you know, all those kind of pieces of incremental law. Because sometimes you'll hear people say, if it's not a full out ban, it's not worth it. Right, you'll hear that. We want, of course, no abortion at any time ever because we believe they're human lives from the moment of birth. However, we take the philosophy of the Family Foundation, let's save every life we can today, then save every life we can tomorrow, and then save every life we can the next day. And sometimes, because of the nature of politics, that goes slowly. It just doesn't happen as fast as you want. So these little incremental things, although they aren't what our ultimate goal would be, which is to save every human life, they are important. They are really important. So anyway, all that to say, we, we had to survive the years of Governor McAuliffe. So he was a governor that literally said, I will be a brick wall for reproductive rights. Nothing will get through me, right? This was his big kind of claim to fame. Um, and you know, he, he was very successful in undoing those safety standards, um, which was very disappointing. And he just did it through the regulatory process. So the actual literal, like, do you have to have this machine? Do you have to have, that was all done by the Board of Health. And when you're a governor, you get to pick who's on the Board of Health. So he basically picked people who literally just took all those things out. So the law still said, you gotta have safety standards, but then there really were no standards because the board just kind of like removed anything of any value. So it was a very, very long, intensive battle. We went to court over, it was a whole thing, right? So then we get to Governor Northam. So that's probably the one that you at least remember because he was the last one. Um, and Governor Northam had two years where he was in the governor's office and had pro-choice, pro-abortion folks controlling the House and the Senate. So they had the opportunity to do whatever they wanted on the abortion law, and no one was gonna stop them. There was nothing we could do to stop them. So we, of course, argued against everything they did. But what they did is they put in one bill that stripped away every pro-life law we had. So literally threw it all in one bill, gave us five minutes in committee to oppose it, even though it had taken us 50 years to get all those individual laws put in place, and they removed them. And so literally down to the, you don't have to have a doctor anymore. Even 1975 law was gone. and so. Um, it was a pretty devastating thing. And at the same time, the Attorney General, which at the time was Attorney General Herring, went and issued an opinion sort of reinterpreting things to say, oh, by the way, at a basic outpatient clinic, you can have a second trimester abortion. Prior to that, you at least had to be in a hospital if you were past 13 weeks, because guess what? It's actually a much harder, more serious surgery if you're going and taking a more well-developed baby um, and there are more risks associated. Um, but Herring sort of reinterpreted it and all of a sudden we had second trimester abortions happening out in Virginia Beach and other places as well. And so when that happened, I will just tell you, um, I was honestly shocked that, and I shouldn't have been, but just that anybody thought that we needed to repeal a law that at least ensures that a woman has a doctor. Like to me, and that, and that women bought the fact that this is really about abortion and rather their own care. To, to us, it was incredibly important that this be treated like anything else. They're just not surgeries that you do, not with doctors. You just, almost ever, I mean, just, you don't typically let people do invasive surgery who are not doctors. You just, you don't find a nurse doing anything else, but yet somehow abortion again was gonna be treated differently. Um, and we were shocked that anyone consider, would consider repealing a law that ensures that women don't have full informed consent. 
It's amazing to me that they didn't receive more public bash backlash that, look, you're literally removing information. And they would say, oh, we're not anti-information. And then they'd wipe out the requirement that women get all the information they need to make. Because if it's between a woman and a doctor, okay, we disagree on that philosophy. But if it is, she really ought to still have all the information, right? We still don't want people with mental health crises because they regret something because they didn't have all the information. I actually um, have a friend who had um, two abortions and she'll tell you, she did not have the information. She was in trauma, scared about a, a unplanned pregnancies and literally went and she said, I don't even remember anything except looking at the floor and then being done with the process because she just couldn't process and nobody even handed her what it was. And she said, honestly, sort of understanding later, I mean, this was a lot of years ago that hers were, she's a lot older than I am. But she said like, just after learning what I had done, that amount of now knowledge after the fact caused her extra mental health issues. Um, and she actually went through a whole season of addiction, trying to numb the pain, which is not terribly uncommon, um, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's not talked about, but it, it does happen because women discover that they did something they didn't understand or that they were coerced. Um, and so it's just amazing that they wanna get rid of sort of information. Um, and I mean, we should all still be shocked that in the 21st century, we still have people that wanna take human lives at all, right? That should be, we shouldn't get numb to that um, because that's just not who we wanna be as a people, right? Like we wanna be on the right side of history where we value everyone. And it's interesting to me that we're in a culture that really understands in a way that our parents didn't and your grandparents didn't, like minority rights and the most vulnerable in our society. There's more effort around all those kinds of things. The most vulnerable in our society are the ones that don't even have a choice to get here in the first place. Well, I just love how you really honed in on this point for them that it's not about the law as the end-all be-all of what we're doing here. It's about redemptively impacting the culture. Why? And, you know, you were saying that several times. So why was it so important to you that they understand that? Well, because I think there's been so much made of we needed to overturn Roe and we've got to get our laws squared away. But if the hearts and minds aren't moved, we haven't addressed the problem, right? People will always find a way to do those things that they want to do. So we want culture to not... Um, in any way think that it's okay to take the life of a human being. And I think for young people, I was trying to really make the point that they are so all about protecting the vulnerable. They're all about being the voice for the voiceless, protecting the minorities. The most vulnerable is the one in the womb. And so I just really wanted them to make those, connect those dots, yeah. that that's, that's what their whole generation is about. But the unborn is a victim that needs defense. Yeah. Well, I do want to remind everyone that you will have an opportunity to personally speak and visually represent those who cannot speak for themselves, as Victoria said, on February 21st. That is the Virginia March for Life. It is going to be exciting this year. It's going to be a wonderful experience. So mark your calendar right now. Do you remember, it kicks off uh, around 9 in the morning. With yeah, a, there's an advocacy day in the yeah. morning, and then there's going to be basically a rally where we'll bring in some speakers and really yeah. talk about what the key issues are. And Then, then we'll I think, yeah, right around noon we march around the Capitol. Yeah. So make sure you mark your calendar. And I guess with that, we'll just wrap up. So thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to share our Speak Up Virginia uh, playlist on YouTube. That helps us get the word out to more people on these important things like March for Life. And if you're listening on the audio version, Spotify, Apple, make sure you give us that five-star review so that our program will reach more people. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.